This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. And if you're like us in here, you might be a little sick of talking about pot. So we are now talking about something really important, and that is your money. There's been a sudden rise in volatility in the month of October, uh, which is traditionally not a great month. And uh, we can see it on Wall Street, and investors are worried. Okay, so we are going to break it all down, talk about what it means for you and your portfolio. I'm here with investment advisor Alan Small from the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. And uh, let me give the numbers out again before we say hi to Alan. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and he's here to take all of your calls and questions. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, I, I said I'm sick of talking about pot, but what are the pot stocks doing today? <laughs> you mean pot is legal today? I, I had no idea. <laughs> you had, you I, didn't hear. I, I didn't hear, no. Uh, interesting. You know, a lot of individuals asked me uh, actually yesterday what's going to happen tomorrow, and uh, my comment to them was I wouldn't be surprised to see the old adage, which is, you know, you buy the rumors, sell, sell the news. news. And exactly what I thought would happen, happened. You know, the pot stocks actually opened up down this morning. And uh, some of them regained some of their luster. I think Afria, one of the big three here in Canada, I think went slightly positive over the past hour or so. But overall, nothing nothing really major going on there. I think overall, the catalyst of the legalization of, of uh, marijuana or cannabis, I think that was built into these names many months ago. And so right now, I guess the catalyst going forward will be, will marijuana or cannabis start to, you know, we start to show up in other areas, beverages, food, uh, you know, and um, healthcare sector. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that with Coca-Cola uh, rumored to be sniffing around the cannabis space. And uh, we've seen some alcohol companies uh, taking a a stake in Canopy Growth, the largest uh, name in in the space. So overall, I think the catalysts are going to come from that. You know, where is this industry going? Who's going to start to get involved in it? And uh, how much money are people going to? Are corporations going to be investing in the cannabis space? Uh, Are you recommending it for your clients or is it too late to get in or what? I don't think it's too late. You know, uh, I guess from the investment standpoint, very hard to evaluate a lot of these names. Uh, those that make money, they, they definitely don't make enough to justify how big the the market capitalization of these companies has grown to be. So a name like Canopy Growth, the largest, uh, worth billions now, Afria billions as well. And so a lot of these names tend to be a little bit overvalued. Canopy Growth, not really profitable at this point. Afria has small profits trading at outrageous valuations. So hard to value these names. But what I've been saying to individuals, if you want to, I guess, own a small piece of this space, uh, make it for your, I guess, your play money, your money that you can afford to gamble a little bit on, that you could say to yourself, okay, I can stand to lose 25, 30% very quickly. At the same time, I could also maybe double my money very quickly. And I think that's the kind of, uh, I guess, space that uh, that the cannabis uh, is in right now. And I think 
that's how people have to look at it. Okay, um, let's turn to more of the regular stuff. There's been a rise in volatility. Tell me about the index which gauges that and what should we do? Well, the VIX, there's an index called the VIX, which measures volatility. And that has actually gone up, of course, with the recent pullback in the markets. And I guess it's interesting. A lot of people ask, why did the markets pull back, uh, I guess, at the end of last week, beginning of this week? And, you know, the, the, the risks out there, the worries have been the same for quite some time, and they've been revolving around trade, uh, trade between Canada and the U.S., which is somewhat resolved, Tra- talks between China and the U.S., which is unresolved. And I think that is the big one out there right now. A lot of people very nervous about these tariffs, steel and aluminum tariffs still in place right now uh, from the U.S. side and in the Canadian side as well. And so what we're hearing is that companies like Walmart, who bring in a lot of goods from China, are possibly considering raising prices because of these tariffs, because of these taxes that are putting on good, put on goods coming from China. So there's a lot of concern there that not only companies like Walmart, but many others are having their margins squeezed by tariffs. And the, the one new thing, I guess, that's come up in the last uh, couple of weeks or maybe even month, higher interest rates. So any companies or individuals that are borrowing money to, to fund their business or, or to fund their lifestyle, their costs are now beginning to rise. We're seeing interest rates rise on both sides of the border here in the U.S., and I think that's starting to make individual investors a little bit more cautious, a little bit more nervous, and we saw them start to take some of the profits off the table over the past week, and they started with areas like technology. Technology has been probably the, the best sector of the market. It's gone up the most, and so what are you going to do? When you need to sell something or want to sell something, you sell your winners and not your losers, and we've seen a lot of money come out of the technology sector and space, and I think that's what's led the downturn over the past couple of weeks. Isn't it just a matter, I mean, for for years we've been saying this market has to take a pause. It's just been going straight up. Uh, It's time for a correction. How much of it is just that? And that's a great point. And it's interesting. We all say, well, we're all waiting for this pause or pullback or correction, which is a correction by definition is roughly about 10% pullback in the markets. We didn't see nearly that last week and beginning of this week. We did see that back in February, which people are very quickly to forget. We did see up 10% pullback in the U.S. markets in February. So I think everybody talks about waiting for this impending correction. But then when it finally happens, they don't take advantage of it. They actually panic and actually sell, which is usually the wrong thing to do at that time. Mm-hmm. But the correction hasn't really happened. Well, the big one hasn't happened as yet. We are still looking at these corrections, smaller corrections, I guess in the midst of a very long bull market. And this is the longest bull market in history. Started back, I know it very well, March 2009, and has been going strong ever since. I want to give the numbers out again, and I, I want to address this a lot to older people but not just older people. Okay, so they don't really have a long time horizon, and they're nervous because they can't really deal with a market downturn. So what advice do you have for people who are in that situation? Let me just give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Well, I think overall, the one of the fears and one of the reasons why the markets have pulled back recently is because of higher interest rates, as I've mentioned. And I think that's actually a good thing, especially for seniors and retirees. Those that are looking to put some money into lower risk investments like GIC, 
currencies or bonds, they, these types of investments... Still pretty low. Still pretty low, mm-hmm. but definitely higher than they were just a few years ago. And so now you're, you know, whereas you were making maybe a one point one and a half two percent 2%, now you can look for some good quality corporate bonds in the 3% range. So it's definitely gone up quite a bit. Uh, so I think now it's actually higher interest rates have benefited some of the seniors, some of the Zoomers that want to put money on the sidelines and at least earn a rate of return to keep up with the rising costs of living. And you can do that more now than before. So I think a bit of a positive for seniors. However, overall, as you've said, the, the markets are volatile. But keep in mind that someone who's invested today, whether you're 65 years of age, 70 years of age, you're going to still be investing for quite some time. Life expectancy for the average Canadian is somewhere around 80, 85 years of age. So someone who retires at 60, 65, let's say, still has a long-term time horizon. And so Corrections like we've seen recently actually could be buying opportunities even for those individuals as well. So don't think just because you're retired or you're you're a senior that you can't take advantage of opportunities as well. Yeah, I mean, because a GIC is not going to give you 3% unless you're investing a very large amount of money. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily even going to cover inflation. Exactly. And so what I've been telling clients is that right now, GICs, the good news about one-year GICs, they've actually gone into the 2.5% range. And that's roughly where inflation is today. However, if you are someone looking to grow your wealth over time, you're 100% correct. GICs just don't do that. If you're lucky, they just keep up with inflation and that's before taxes. So obviously, you know, once you make 2.5%, you still have to subtract a little bit for taxes. And so you were correct. You're just scraping around that inflation rate. And for many people, they just don't want to just get by. They want to see their money grow. And even till this day, or even for today, you still need to be in the stock market or in the markets in some capacity, whether it's through a mutual fund or some sort of managed product, ETF, whatever it may be, you still need to be in those products if you want to make money. Okay. Alan, we have to take a quick break. Before we go to break, I'll give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm here with Alan Small. He's happy to take your calls and your questions. A lot of volatility in the market. That pullback last week, I know it frightened a lot of people. Whatever your question, he is here. We're taking a break and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. I am here with investment advisor Alan Small. He's happy to take your calls and your questions. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And it's time to start end-of-year planning, and particularly for people who are 71 years old, you have to convert your RSPs to a RIF. Of course, this has been a key pet peeve for CARP. They're trying to get this requirement uh, abolished because people shouldn't have to take money out if they don't need it. But it's quite a thing to do. What's your advice for people facing that? Well, obviously, at age 71, uh, unfortunately for those individuals, uh, the government forces you, obviously, to to move your money over to a RIF. Uh, The good news is, for those individuals, you have other options. So instead of taking that money, yes, you will be taxed on it when you pull it out of the RIF, but you could also reinvest it back into a tax-free savings account or perhaps a Canadian and just a simple Canadian investment account. So it's not money necessarily that you have to take and, and, and keep in your bank account or use. You can then reinvest it in another account to hopefully grow over 
over time. The only, I guess the only negative is when you reinvest it, not in a tax free savings, but if you were invested in a Canadian investment account, you would have to pay tax on the gain. So hopefully you have some uh, tax free savings room that you can roll your RIF money right into that. That sounds like an excellent strategy. I think that makes a lot of good sense. It does. It provided you have the room. And I, as, as probably everyone knows, you're allowed up to 5500 per year to add to your tax-free savings account. So it depends on how much money your RIF payment is. You would be able to add some of that or all of it or a portion of it to your tax-free savings account. Are there any other strategies to minimize the impact if you don't need the money? Well, unfortunately, you know, the, the, in terms of tax, you're going to have to pay the tax no matter what. Yeah. But, but overall, I think it just comes down to, do you need the money? If you don't reinvest, obviously, as we talked about earlier, the markets have pulled back recently. And so you actually could be investing some money a little bit cheaper now. The other thing to keep in mind is you actually don't have to sell something in your RIF to pull out cash. You can actually remove actual whole investments or investments in kind and just move those to a non-registered plan, like, like a, not a RIF or a... Uh, an RSP, you can move that out to just the Canadian investment account or straight into your tax-free savings account as well. Okay, so does it make sense uh, to take, if you take something out that that has lost money, uh, can you, can, will that work at all? Well, I don't think it really matters mm-hmm. because obviously it's going to go into the new account at that and the value mm-hmm. that it goes in at will be that book value. So you're kind of starting from scratch at that point in time. So whether you to move over something that's at a loss or gain, obviously you can't crystallize anything because it's inside that registered plan. So I think it just depends on, on what you have and the makeup of your portfolio. Okay, let's take a call from Stephen Brampton. Hi, Steve. Oh, hi, Libby. Hi, Alan. How are you? Um, I've just joined the program, so I hope you haven't dealt with this. I'm 68. I have a pension. All my life I have maxed out on RSPs, thinking that was, and I still think that's a good move. However, I I discovered, I don't know why it took me so long to discover this, that if I died today, I I have quite a bit of money in in, uh, RSPs. If I died today, if I listened to my accountant properly, that money would all be, converted and treated as income in this year. Did I hear him right? So your final tax return, according to your account, I guess what he's telling you is that you would have to do a final tax return, depending on how your estate is structured, how your investment are structured, there'd be different taxes to be paid. But uh, I believe what you're saying is, yes, you would have to, it would be as if everything that you own was sold on the day uh, date of death. And so that's how your estate would look at it. Now, if you do have RSPs, obviously, if you have beneficiaries on those accounts, uh, a lot can bypass probate, but your final tax return uh, will be uh, done during that year, and yes, uh, those taxes would be, have to be paid. So when I was having this discussion with him, I said, you know, I'll, because my birthday is January the 6th, I can actually be almost 72 before I have to convert to a RIF. And I thought, oh, good, I'm a winner on this one. But then when this information came up and I began to understand it, I said, you know, I think my strategy is all wrong. I think I should be pulling some of this money out now, although that would increase my marginal tax rate now. It's, and uh, exactly. it's a nice it, problem it, to have, but it's a bit of a 
quandary. Yeah, you're correct. And a lot of people do start to pull money out of their RRSPs a little earlier than, than uh, when they riff. And you are correct. It's actually 71. So your account turns over at 71. And in your 72nd it's the, year... It's the end of the year where you turn 71. That's correct. And so at 72, you, you're forced to pull money out. But you also are correct. It's definitely something to consider discussing with your accountant. Perhaps pulling some money out earlier... Uh, versus later might be a strategy depending on your income, depending on what your investments are and how much you have. Yeah, a lot of people do pull out their money ahead of turning into a RIF because it makes more sense from a tax perspective. Okay, Steve, oh. thanks for that. I hope that's helpful. Thank you. It shocked me. Okay, George in Iron Bridge. Hi, George. Hi. Uh, I was talking to your operator when your current call or your last call came through, he was apparently discussed exactly what I wanted to discuss. Go ahead. Well, my brother had upwards of half a million in his riff when he passed away. It was passed on to my sister-in-law. She passed away, and they got one heck of a tax bill with all the backed-up income that came in as of the last day of her uh, life. So, yes, the previous caller apparently just covers exactly the same ground. Yeah, one of the things to consider uh, for yourself, I guess it's, is it George, is it? Yes, George. George. Yes. Um, one thing that individuals have considered in the past is to perhaps use insurance to pay for the tax, in essence. So what you would do, and, and possibly an idea that you could uh, ponder, is you, you let's say you have an RSP account of half a million dollars, and let's say you know you're going to lose roughly half of that to taxes. Well, you go out and take out a life policy on on yourself or on that person for half for, for half of that, so 250000 So yes, you will have to pay a bunch in the way of taxes, but then your insurance plan once will be cashed in, obviously, at the time of death, and the 250000 will be made up by the insurance. And I know a lot of people, what they do is they sort of, the term is wrap an insurance policy around uh, their investments. And that helps with, uh, obviously, some of the the tax planning and some of the tax burden that you're going to have to pay. So an idea for yourself and others that, you know, could use insurance to help, you know, alleviate some of that tax bill that uh, that unfortunately we all have at the time of of death. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm... I do volunteer tax preparing for CRA, so I see the other side where people get really hit. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Thanks, George. Okay, let's go to, is it Sasha or Sasho in Toronto? Yes, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I have a question about uh, Bitcoin's cryptocurrencies. Is it a good investment or... Oh, well, like cryptocurrency, it's interesting. It was very popular, a lot more popular, I think, months ago. I think the popularity has been uh, from cryptocurrencies kind of moved to the to the marijuana or cannabis sector. But cryptocurrencies, uh, I always found that when people ask me, is, you know, is it a good investment? My answer to them was, is it really an investment? Um, very difficult to buy Bitcoin. You know, you actually, it's not like it, you can go out and buy a, a stock. Uh, Bitcoin is not a stock itself. It doesn't trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange or New York Stock Exchange. So to, the way you buy cryptocurrency is through, I guess, other means. Um, there have been some, some ETFs and some uh, products like that that have been 
been created over the past, I guess, uh, year or so. And that's possibly a way to, to, to get involved in that area. But but cryptocurrency obviously is, is, is new. Uh, it is an alternative to, I guess, eventually, I guess the, the, the hope is that cryptocurrency will be an alternative to the U.S. dollar. I don't think it's there yet. But overall, I think it's a very, very speculative uh, type of investment if you are going to make it. And if you're going to buy actual Bitcoins online through a website, because I think that's one of the few ways you can buy them, uh, these websites are not regulated. And I, I definitely wouldn't recommend it for, for many people. You never know what you're getting and what you're buying. And you're hearing about over the last year or so, a lot of cases of fraud with these websites. So I'd be very careful. Okay. Okay, I- Sacho. Thanks for that. Thank Let's go to Robin in Mono. Hi, Robin. Oh, hi. 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 Um, I just I have a question regarding um, my uh, mother's um, segregated funds and RIF funds. Now, our financial person or her financial person um, ha- has put them, they're in her name, but they are also in her children's name. So when she passes... Are we going to be hit with the tax on those, or do they automatically get rolled over? So these these funds are held in a RIF, or where are they held? They're in well, they're segregated funds, and she does have um, some RIF funds. Some RIF funds, so I guess mutual funds inside of her RIF account. Right. Right. So so when you know so if it is a RIF account. To put it in both names, you can only hold a RIF in in one name, uh, one person's name. Um, You can put a beneficiary on that RIF account, and in doing that, uh, the the account and and really all the assets bypass probate. So they, they, they go to the beneficiary, kind of they flow outside of the estate. So that's a way to bypass probate. But once assets... Uh, in general, like if they're just speaking in general now, go to the next generation, that's when the tax kind of gets uh, gets uh, or, or kicks in. Now, segregated funds, depending on, you know, how those those funds are purchased, uh, there are some estate properties to those uh, to those products. And that's why a lot of individuals buy seg funds. Again, it's just going to depend on what they are, where they're held. Um, and if she holds seg funds within the RIF, uh, I would question, uh, I would question a a little bit. To me, I always look at SEG funds. Uh, they're quite pricey uh, in nature. We all talk about mutual fund fees. Well, SEG fund fees tend to be at times a, a little bit higher even than the regular mutual fund fees. And, um, you know, other than the estate properties that these SEG funds have, I'm not so sure they're, they're the greatest investment. They're, they're very pricey. And the guarantees on, uh, on them, in my opinion, especially if they're held for the long term, um, they really don't matter in the end because most mutual funds over a 10-year window usually have a positive return of some sort. So you really don't get the positives from seg funds that they offer with respect to personal guarantees that you get your money back, that kind of thing. So I would definitely take a look at what your mom has and um, you know uh, just look at it a little more closely and see if she's in the right process. Wow, because she's been in these funds, like they get moved around. The financial person does move them around um, periodically, but they've been there for like years, like I don't even know, 30, 40, 50 years, like a long, long time. Are these insurance insurance products? Um, Well, they're worth... um, Oh, I don't know. Like Manulife right now, I don't know if that means anything. I don't know. I don't know much about 
financial stuff. So right, right. So what I would do is, uh, you know, you can always you know, maybe take him to a, get a second opinion. Uh, by all means, you can give me a call or send me an email. I can take a look at that uh, portfolio. But definitely want to take a look. If they are at Manulife, it is a good chance that they are uh, insurance products. And uh, you want to definitely understand what you have. And I think that's probably the most important thing to do. Okay, Robin, I hope that's uh, helpful for you. Thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, Alan, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I think right now, if you're an investor, uh, times are definitely volatile. I think there is no doubt that... If we are, you know, in this bull market, and we, uh, I shouldn't say if we, we are in this bull market, but I think we're closer to the to the end innings versus the beginning, using a baseball analogy. Maybe closer to the ninth inning than we are to the first. So I think things are going to be more bumpy. I think you look at as an investor, look forward to higher interest rates, higher inflation. Look towards markets. I don't think you're going to see markets that, that are not going to provide you 15, 20% return like we saw a couple of years ago in the U.S. markets. I think you're going to see you know, more normalized gains, which are in that 6 7% return range. And I think that should be expected. And I think if you can get rates or, or make money somewhere in that 7 to 10% range, I think that's what you should strive for today, especially if you have a medium risk portfolio. If you're looking at lower risk, obviously, as we just said, more 2 to 3% is what you should be expecting. Okay, thank you so much, Alan Small, with the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.